this is The Angry GM, and you're about to listen to the April Mostly Monthly live chat, which was recorded last night, April 26th, 2023, at 7.30 p.m. local time, which is Central Standard Daylight Time, or whatever. Uh, I wanted to add a note at the beginning, because at the end of the recording, I was a bit concerned that I was a little bit more moody and combative and less energetic than is my normal, usual self. And I even uh, was a little bit, I'm not going to say hostile, but I was a little bit standoffish in the Q&A portion of things. And uh, I honestly... It really was just, I was in kind of a, a pretty black mood last night. And if I'd been smart, I would have rescheduled uh, knowing that rather than gone forward. But then I would have been rescheduling the mostly monthly live chat twice. And I try not to do that. So I went ahead anyway. Um, I didn't walk in with a whole lot to say. And, it, you know, there's been a lot going on. It just hasn't been a great uh, week for me. And so I just wanted to apologize, and especially to Nitsua and the other folks who asked questions, because uh, I wasn't always the nicest in answering them, and everybody laughed it off, and everybody seemed to have a good time, but still, I know that I was being a little bit more the angry GM than is my usual self. So as you listen, just keep that in mind, and I apologize, and next month, I will be a much happier person, which is a stupid promise to make that I have absolutely no control over, but nonetheless, I'm going to stupidly promise it. Anyway, on with the show. Hello, this is The Angry GM, and this is The Angry GM's mostly monthly live chat for the month of April in the year of 2023, and the, the audio is way too high, even though uh, I tested it and it was not too high. So now it is much better because it just scooshed it down a little, little bit. Anyway, so uh, here we are. Uh, starting the recording, and damn it, I did a good intro, and then I stalled out because the audio wasn't working right, now I don't know where to go from here. Um, so anyway, uh, oh, so we have a live studio audience here in the Angry Games Discord studio, uh, and hopefully those of you who are participating have downloaded your Angry Bingo cards, if you scroll up just a bit in the live chat, voice chat channel, most the live chat, text chat channel, uh, Nitsua has posted his monthly Angry Bingo game. So go ahead, download an Angry Game Bingo card. And if you win, um, let Nitsua know and uh, he will send you a book, apparently. Stu is asking, oh heck, what did I miss? Nothing other than me, like it's been one, one minute and 12 seconds. So you have missed nothing other than me nailing the intro and then immediately tripping right after I crossed the finish line and then stumbling into the Gatorade stand um, because I just killed all the momentum from there. Um, so right before uh, I started recording, I'm, I guess I'm supposed to do like news. Right? Okay. News. Uh, for those of you who have been following the periodic updates uh, on my website, you will know things are continuing to not go as planned, which is pretty much what I should plan on right now. I should plan on things not going as planned, so I should plan on them going badly so that they might go well. Uh, I was out of state for a couple of days. There was also a small, minor family-ish emergency. And, yeah, like, I'm desperately trying to catch up. And I, I've talked about this concept, I think, before called breathing room. Okay. And it, the, I don't think, not by that term, but the idea comes from uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which is, by the way, an excellent book, um, which I can, like, don't use me as your... Um, as, as your judgment for the book, because I am I do not claim to be a highly effective person. Okay, but the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is a is a very good book by and why can't I remember the author's name now? Uh, Covey, Stephen Covey. Okay, um, and it is basically seven rules um, that help you be less ineffective and more 
productive, though productive is not really the right word for it, especially because lately the word productivity has been run through the mill. Like, you know, we are not allowed to talk about productivity anymore because God forbid we should suggest that people should actually do meaningful, useful things in their life. Um, I've seen people on the internet refer to this like the, um, like, like this, this crime against humanity that is suggesting people should do things in their life instead of just playing all the time. But anyway, seven habits of highly effective people. Um, one of the, you, you know, one of the early things, one of the early concepts in the book is this idea about, oh, I can't even remember the habit now. This is a shame. Uh, I did read the book, I promise. But anywho, um, the, the, one of the things he talks about is this idea of that you can basically lump everything you're doing into four kinds of tasks. There are the urgent important things, the urgent unimportant things, the unimportant unurgent things, and the important non-urgent things. Okay, so you break them into quadrants by urgency and importance. Okay, and people tend to get sucked into this urgency trap, where if things are, ur obviously urgent and important things need to be done, but also, if things are urgent, even if they're unimportant, we tend to jump on them right away. And really, the most effective way to live is to spend your life focusing on the things that are important, but not urgent, okay? Because then you will be managing your time properly, managing your resources properly, you will be far less stressed, you will be far more effective, blah, 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 okay? So people end up in this, this trap of um, chasing the urgent, it's called. And I've ended up there just by kind of putting myself behind schedule. It all started back in January and everybody knows the story at this point. We don't need to rehash it all, but I've ended up kind of like chasing the urgent. And when you get into that trap of chasing the urgent, um, until you get ahead on the urgent important things, um, I need to pause one second, I'm sorry. Anyway, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, so things were paused for a moment. But anyway, so the the idea that there was some audio issues in the background that I needed to take care of. So anyway, the point is I have been desperately trying to get ahead of the game because all of the long-term important projects that I have, such as building role-playing games and publishing uh, Kickstarter dice and things like that, are the things that don't get done, in, you know, overnight. It's like, I can write an article in, you know, a few days, okay, from beginning to end. Um, that stuff can happen very, very quickly, as long as I'm not trying to do it on a desperate deadline. You know, more detailed stuff like uh, hacks and rule systems and stuff, those things take longer. And then longer still are all the long-term projects. And I've been really struggling to get ahead enough for two reasons. Number one... Um, to have the breathing room to work on those long-term projects with the amount of effort and energy they demand. And number two, because in general, if you are managing your time properly, when you are suddenly uh, stuck having to run out of state or you get a call from family that there's something wrong, um, if you're not constantly up against a deadline, you have a buffer to take that stuff on and deal with it and still not like throw yourself behind schedule. Um, so that's what I've been doing. And that's why I said April in my last update, April was very important because I had the opportunity to get ahead. Um, and things are kind of there, except obviously the, the last article of April, which is the, the initial running combat in. All right, I am back again, having had to deal with one other thing. Uh, because things are not just leaving. We're having some conflicts here in the building with neighbors and such. So uh, there's, there's a lot going on, and I apologize for that. And I also cut out my use of um, a certain invective that uh, certain people uh, find troubling and that I really shouldn't use. So I deleted that from the audio. Uh, nonetheless, anyway, so point is trying to get ahead. Last article is coming out before the end of the week. And then fortunately in May, May is one of those delightful months where um, 
where, uh, whatchamacallit, where there are five Tuesdays for article releases. So there will be a lag time. Um, so the first article will come out into early access on Tuesday the 9th, then through all the remaining Tuesdays, and then go into general access the week after. And that gives me sort of a, 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 a sort of a pressure release week. Anyway, so that's basically all the news right now. And the first article in May that is on May 9th is going to be the uh, repeatedly delayed stupid tension pool dice thing. And a few people have commented, because I keep talking about how I want to do a definitive thing on the tension pool. I, I'm putting the tension pool into the final form for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, because I have refined the way to do complications, and the complication table is instrumental to using the tension pool properly, and I have built a actually systematic approach to complications that makes things easier for GMs. But the second reason is because by writing a final rule document in the form that it would be published in, then uh, that part of the Tension Dice Kickstarter is already done and you'll be able to see um, the system part of it. The other thing is that there are two subsystems that hang off of it that are part of town mode things. Um, one has to do with equipment maintenance and supplies, and the other has to do with gaining boons and blessings between adventures. And in order to sell both of those, or not sell, uh, in order to share both of those, I first need to go back and make sure the detention pool has a final form so that those other things can hang off of it. And actually a lot of stuff in Angry's version of town mode um, does hang off the tension pool in some important ways. So that's why it has to be done. And I keep putting it off and because it, it is one of those things that demands a little extra time. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, uh, like, <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm sure some of you follow the the news around role-playing gaming and the wonderful, delightful companies that steward our hobby. Um, but I was reminded today, so 15, well, let's say 2007, right? So 2007, that was what, 15 years ago? 2000, 2023, 16 years ago, give or take. Okay. 16 years ago, I joined Twitter. And I invented this character of the angry GM, um, I guess not 16 years ago, 15 years, it was 2028, 2008. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The exact date doesn't matter. Okay. I joined Twitter and I had invented this character, the angry GM. And the idea behind the angry GM was I was going to be this hilarious parody of overly controlling, overly demanding game masters who, without realizing it, was destroying the hobby for everyone with their control freakiness and their, you know, killer GMing ways. Basically a parody of all bad GMs. Okay. Um, unfortunately, like, I guess whether unfortunate or fortunate, ultimately there was kind of a schism because I ended up with two different versions of the angry GM. One version of the angry GM was the guy who joked around on Twitter and built a massive following on Twitter, um, and he was that. He was basically just a parody of terrible GMs, though that became more and more difficult as time went on. The other one was the guy who actually wrote the website, The Angry GM, and he was sort of like um, a drill sergeant in the vein of uh, Yosemite Sam. You know, he would, uh, you know, curse and swear incomprehensibly in cartoon swears um, and, you know, basically try and beat people into having better games. And turned out that I actually was better at giving gaming advice than I thought I was going to turn out to be. Who knew? Anyway, um, but as time went on, I eventually had to retire from social media and stopped interacting with social media. And there were two reasons for that. One was because it took me a long time to learn that there is no margin in having an opinion on anything other than games, and even then, having an opinion on games was an invitation to disaster, um, because social media went through uh, its culture war phase. Okay, um, <laughs> and I'm just going to say it at that, and it is still going on, the, the culture war. 
Okay, except now we no longer call it a culture war because everything is political. But I've already commented on that. The other reason I quit, though, was because it was becoming increasingly difficult to satirize terrible GMs because uh, I don't want to say GMs were getting worse, but GMs uh, are getting worse as time goes on. Okay, the, cur the current crap for GMs is the, we, we are living in the worst generation of GMs since gaming was invented. Okay, I say that categorically. Even though I was not even around for some of those generations, I still categoric categorically believe that um, that this is the worst generation of GMs. No offense to you few exceptions who are smart enough to hang out with me. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so it became increasingly difficult for me to parody things because I would make a what I thought to be a completely crazy and off-the-wall remark about um, what I thought would be a ridiculous thing that no GM should say, and then I would get people agreeing with me and then using me to shore up their points. I'm like, okay. And this is a thing called Poe's Law, okay? Um, Poe's Law uh, is like this internet culture adage or rule um, that was created, um, it, it was, it was created by this guy, Nathan Poe, and it, he was on some Christian forum, actually, um, and there was, there was a debate going on about, uh, some, some fundamental views on, on creationism versus evolution or some shit like that, um, and he made this, like, throwaway remark, something like, it's a good thing you put a winky face in what you said, otherwise people would actually think you were serious. And that grew into Poe's law. Poe's law being that on the internet, if you are not extremely obvious about what you're doing and add, like, a sarcastic tag or a winky face or whatever, people cannot tell satire from reality. However, it sort of morphed over the years into this idea that as society gets stupider, because it always does, the stupidity of society trends toward infinity over time, um, as society gets dumber and crazier, uh, it becomes increasingly difficult to satirize because things that were satire a couple of years ago are now just reality. Um, see also the Babylon Bee. And, oop, that was political. I bet, I bet some people are going to call me out for calling that political. Anyway, okay, anybody who satirizes anything eventually runs into a point where the, their sat satirical jokes become reality, and you can't tell their jokes from reality, and then they're told, oh, you actually predicted the future. I had a running, running gag for many, many years about this, about my angry company, and I was always threatening to send jackbooted thugs to uh, chase down the people who were playing games wrong, um, or who misused my products, or misused, or I also made this joke in terms of Wizards of the Coast, like, if you do things wrong, Wizards of the Coast is going to send jackbooted thugs to kick down your door, and, and, you know, take your games away. Anyway, I now officially have to retire that joke, because it is now reality, as I'm sure some of you have seen. Wizards of the Coast, um, due to a misunderstanding about uh, whether a, the street date on some Magic the Gathering items uh, being shown off by a on a YouTube channel, the street date had been broken or some shit like that. I don't know or care about all the details. Instead of sending a sternly worded letter that says, you have broken our street date and we will see you in court or something to that effect, or, you know, filing a claim against the videos or what have you, they contracted private security for, or not private security firm, they're private investigators. Okay, the Pinkerton, Pinkerton is a private investigator firm to go and kick down this guy's door and scare the hell out of his wife and, um, <laughs> yeah, is it actually the, is it called, 
Yeah, they sent an unreleased deck instead of another deck. Okay, this is what Jazzy is telling me what happened. Okay. Um, apparently, uh, a character, a YouTube, a, a character, a YouTube content creator was sent an unreleased deck by accident instead of the product they were supposed to be reviewing, went ahead and reviewed it, and Wizards of the Coast sent Jack Booted Thugs to take him down. Yeah, so I, and I had to laugh at that because of the number of times I made the joke, knowing that, um, that, you know, no one would ever take it seriously that a toy company would ever send jackbooted thugs to kick someone's door in and threaten them and take their games away for doing something wrong with them. And here we are uh, in 2023, the year that joke can no longer be told. Anyway, one other thing I want to mention just, just briefly, uh, Tiny and I dumped money into the uh, Skyrim Adventure board game uh, by Modifius Games, Skyrim Adventure board game. Um, we have been playing through it. It is awesome. I don't, I don't want to give like a giant review here. Maybe I'll give a giant review another time if anybody wants it. But um, if you are a fan of campaign style uh, adventure games, uh, and you are a fan of Elder Scrolls games and what have you, um, you could do a lot worse than picking up the Skyrim adventure game. I feel like I should have more to say on the subject, but, um, with a, there were already a couple of disruptions and stuff. I'm just going to move on to taking some questions tonight because I am really off my game. It's, it's been kind of a, a thing. So, with that said, I'm going to move on to the live chat Q&A portion where uh, I take questions and comments gathered in the thread, um, which, by the if you want to ask a question or make a comment or propose a topic, uh, go ahead and type it into the live chat Q&A thread in the live chat text channel, uh, and I will attempt to address it. Uh, so, Will Kalak. What's your opinion on combat systems that deal with relative positions and distances using zones instead of precise square counting, e.g. the Forbidden Lands RPG? That's fine. Anyway, next question. Okay, I, I'm kidding. I love those, by the way, what's your opinion on? I love being asked to opine on a thing. Okay, because that's so not a question. It's like, yeah, could you just yammer about this for a bit? And then I never really know what to do because it's something that there's really not an opinion on. Like it's like it's a general like it's a generalized approach to to solving a problem, right? I, I mean, I guess I could talk about specific implementations and stuff, but <sighs> I don't know. Okay. So for those not in the know, the basic concept is instead of marking down a map in a precise grid or hexes or something like that and counting squares and using precise ranges, instead you just have this vague concept of all the stuff that's sort of reachable within, you know, a few seconds. The stuff you could run over to and bop on the head within a few seconds. And you... You know, and so you divide your battlefield into these sorts of zones of nearbyness. Now, there's more to it than that because then we can go into the difference between like a combat arena system and a um, and like range bands because like the the fantasy flight games like fantasy flight Star Wars uses range bands, which is a little bit different. Where you sort of picture that there's a circle, there's various circles around the battlefield. And at the middle of the battlefield is all the people who are close enough together to bop each other on the heads. And then a little ways out from that are the, um, are the, you know, the people who are close enough to like shoot into that fight. And then farther still are the people who are close enough to, or to you know, close enough to throw grenades into the fight and then far enough away that they have to use like bows and whatever. Wilkalak is asking specifically about Forbidden Lands. I haven't played or run Forbidden Lands, so I can't comment on it. So I'm just 
commenting on general approaches here. Uh, another form is the, um, the, well, then again, there's uh, like 13th age uses the uh, just whatever form of zones where it's basically just you put the minis on the table and, you know, if they're touching each other, they're engaged. And if they're a little far away, they're not. And if they're even farther away, you know, whatever. Um, so, um, you know, there's that. And then there's, I guess the best example I can come up with for like the arena style is old school hack where you actually um, divide, like say you were fighting in an inn um, and then the fight spills over into the street or the fight spills into the kitchen or whatever. The common room is one arena and the inn is another, or the, the kitchen is another arena, and the street outside is another arena, and your ability to move between arenas is limited, but moving within the arena, you can move pretty much with impunity, reposition yourself however you want. There's also Index Card RPG uses the banana system, where basically anything is considered to be within range if they're within the length of one banana of laying out miniatures on the table. Um, so, like, all of these things are basically ways of approximating range and distances close enough so that you don't have to count squares. And the main reason for this is because, I, I mean, there's, uh, there's a couple of different reasons, but obviously square counting has kind of a bad rap because... If you let your players do it, they will really bog down your game with square counting, even though I never let my players do it. Um, and also, uh, GMs are very, very afraid to be fuzzy with the squares and say, well, it's, you know, this is precisely six squares away, so I'm not going to give my player one more square of movement um, in, in order to just expedite things. And when he says, I'm going to charge the guy, I'll say, well, you are five feet away from being able to charge the guy. And say, okay, and I move the miniature and you charge the guy. Anyway, so that is an explanation of the system. And then as far as the opinion goes, is it depends on how it is implemented. Like so many things, Okay. Square counting and hex counting and grids and spaces, those are all very natural and very intuitive. Are they a little time consuming? They can be if you misuse them. Do they have to be? No, absolutely not. But if your game is based on tactical combat and especially involves things like cover, concealment, forced movement, lines of sight, lines of effect, and what have you, you really want to use that, the, the level of precision that your game system demands. Um, on the other hand, the fuzzy systems, while they, they do streamline a lot, um, they also tend to cut out a lot of your ability to use those things like forced movement or even something like... Uh, when you consider, and I'm, I'll bring this, I'll tell you why I'm thinking about this in a second, but okay. So when you consider things like range bands and range zones and things like that, one of the things you run into very, very quickly is, well, what do we do about hindering terrain? Okay, because if you can reposition yourself within a zone with impunity, how does one then use terrain to their advantage? If somebody doesn't have to move through the terrain, if they can just reposition around it. Um, and, the, you know, and obviously different systems find different ways to come up with this. But what tends to happen is the more tactical crap they try to build into this, um, the more the abstractions tend to be less intuitive than just having a grid, okay? Um, and, you know, what this all really comes down to, though, is who's allowed to interact with what, right? I mean, that's really, when you get down to it, if you're designing your system for tracking positions in combat, the only question you're really interested in, who is allowed to interact with what, okay? And, the zones and range bands and relative positions and all that crap is just another solution to that problem. Um, the reason I have been thinking about all of this is because Slapdash does not use a grid. 
And in fact, it does use zones and relative positions, but I still wanted to, I didn't want to leave the tactical fun of like things like difficult terrain and forced movement and stuff um, on the table or, or zones of control. That's that's another thing that becomes a, a question is how does a, a melee combatant exert a zone of control? Because zones of control, um, like zones of control, lines of sight are the most important things to do in a melee focused game because without them, ranged combat absolutely always beats melee combat hand down, hands down, okay? In 5e, you are almost always better off using ranged combat than melee combat because 5e stripped away so many of the important tactical rules that now it is useless to be a melee combatant. Man, I guess I am opining on this for quite some time. Anyway, long story short is it depends on the implementation. Okay, and specifically what options it allows and how much cognitive load the abstractions required to allow those options impose on the player and the GM. And that is my opinion. I have no opinion on the general approach. I need to see a specific implementation. Spacetime Ninja asked earlier, for what reasons are skill-based systems and fantasy adventure games a poor match for each other? Um, I assume this is referring to the recent comment I, or the, the article that I, I posted, the bullshit article, I think it was, on the final word on dice swinginess, where I commented that one of the problems is that D&D is not and should not be a skill-based system, and yet it has many elements in it that trick people into thinking it is a skill-based system. And I commented that fantasy adventure should not use a skill-based system. And I could have sworn I actually answered this, though maybe only in brief. Okay, essentially, when you think about fantasy adventure stories, okay, fantasy adventure stories are not stories about highly trained experts undertaking esoteric things that only highly trained experts can do. Okay, the recent D&D, what if D&D was a heist movie notwithstanding. Okay, um, and I mean, D&D has always been built on this framework that everybody participates equally in the adventure, and the fantasy genre is basically the genre of the the person from humble beginnings whose adventures make him capable or her make them sell, make them capable of overcoming whatever challenge it is that they face. Okay. It is not through training and education that fantasy heroes, um, show themselves, uh, or, you know, like, uh, prove themselves. It's, otherwise you couldn't have like that humble beginnings type hero. Instead, fantasy heroes tend to be cunning. They tend to be resourceful. And most importantly, the difference between them and everybody else tends to be that they are the ones willing to do the things. Okay. It's not that they're really much better than anyone else. It's just that they are the ones who have the inner strength, the courage, the virtue, whatever it is to do the thing that nobody else is doing, you know, and that, I mean, that's the whole point of a humble origins hero, right? Which is fantasy adventure gaming. The idea is you go out on adventures to make yourself into a hero. You do not have a whole career becoming an expert at something and then use that expertise to solve problems nobody else is capable of solving. Instead, you are confronted with problems and challenges. You rise to the occasion using whatever skills and talents you happen to have, um, and then you succeed, and in so doing, empower yourself to succeed again and again and again and again. Okay, that's like, conceptually, that's why skill-based systems are a poor fit. 
Okay, that is not to say that fantasy heroes cannot have skills, and this goes into the next question, what role might skills play in top-quality fantasy adventure role-playing games, uh, which also came from Space Time Ninja. And the, the idea is that skills become solution, you know, a particular approach to a problem, okay? In a heist game, or in a heist movie, or whatever, there is a, so when you need uh, the security system disabled, you hire a security systems expert, okay? The obstacle dictates the approach, okay? In a fantasy adventure role-playing game, hypothetically, you should not need to hi hire anyone specialized for anything except in some limited circumstances because everybody can kind of find a way around the problem. So like the classic example is the locked door. You can pick the lock or you can kill the guard for a key or you can smash the door down, okay? The, the, the fact that the lock is the obstacle doesn't mean, well, we have to go find a locksmith or a, a, a thief or whatever or a burglar. Same with traps, by the way. These days, it, this is really weird, by the way, but everybody now has it in their head that, well, how are you going to deal with traps if you don't have a rogue? You know, and I mean, the, obviously the, the simplest way to deal with traps is, uh, you know, you send the person with the most hit points out in front and they disable the trap by, you know, taking the trap in the face and surviving it, which is a perfectly valid approach. Okay, but then too, without a rogue to disable the traps, you need to be smarter and pay more attention to your environment, guess where traps might be, and then try to avoid them. You know, I mean, Indiana Jones never at any point disabled a trap. Okay, he, okay. Indiana Jones, in some cases, did sort of disable traps. Okay, he did attempt to circumvent the rolling boulder trap with his clever, uh, you know, uh, I know this is a weighted pressure plate and I will weigh this thing exactly as this thing, and that failed. Um, in the, you know, in the Breath of God test in Mont uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail, <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, he did roll past the trap and then he did secure a rope onto the onto the, the spinning wheel uh, that was powering the trap, but that rope is specifically there to stop the trap. It was there to disable it. It was like a lockout. So he didn't disable the trap and he didn't do anything that any acrobatic person who had teased out the meaning of the riddle couldn't have also done. So, and, and that's sort of the point in, fi in fantasy adventure is Sometimes the people you're, that you bring along are opening up other avenues of approach to the obstacles, but the composition of the party does not, is not in any way dictated by the obstacles you will face. Is beating undead without a cleric harder? Yes. Is beating undead without a cleric possible? Easily. Not as easily but still easily, okay? So, that's, and that's exactly what you want your fantasy adventure. You don't want people to feel like, well, we have to bring a face, or we have to bring a this, or we have to bring a that, especially because that approach then leads to people playing fantasy adventures as these tag in, tag out, well, now it's time for a conversation, so here comes the conversation guy, instead of everybody sitting around and participating in the conversation. So that's why skill-based systems are a bad fit for fantasy adventure. Jin Fong is asking, what is the evil cabal of game-mastering high priests you mentioned in the Joy of Secrets article? Speaking of culture wars, you are obviously trying to get me in trouble here, but let me explain. If you uh, visit the social media, the, the role-playing game communities on social media, um, especially Twitter and certain role-playing game subreddits, like the D&D subreddit and stuff, okay, you will find there is a an attitude that firmly opposes 
any statement at all that might suggest that the Game Master is somehow special. Okay? The Game Master cannot be viewed as an authority figure. The Game Master cannot be viewed as someone who has any power or has any more say. And resources cannot be viewed as specifically for the Game Master's eyes only. If you suggest any of these things, like the, you know, the GM should be the one building the world, not the players, okay? Or you suggest that, you know, maybe players shouldn't read the monster manual. I'm not going to ban them, but maybe they shouldn't for the good of the game. You will be accused by a vocal contingent of people as engaging in the practice of uh, you know, like elevating the GM to exceptional status instead of treating the GM with their proper place as slave to the players. Okay, I shit you not. So the reason I brought up, brought that, made that statement specifically is because in that Joy of Secrets article, one of the things I was talking about was whether the GM should have access to knowledge that the players don't have access to, that they have to earn through play. Okay, and many people on Twitter accused me of being, uh, they literally use the term, the, the high priests of game mastering. Like I was this member of some order of uh, game mastering Pharisees um, that are trying to keep the secrets of the game mastering church from the commoners and Martin Luther needed to drive a spike through my head or some shit like that. Okay. I had seen that attitude before and knew that it existed, but I was actually kind of surprised to see the vehemence with which it was stated. And then when I went looking, because um, my public accounts are not the only accounts that I maintain on various websites. I like to lurk a lot without people knowing that I am lurking. Uh, so I do pay a lot more attention to the, the social media world of role-playing gaming um, than people think I do. And it is amazing the degree to which people uh, feel like that. Uh, you know, it, it's, I'm not going to go into, um, I'm not going to go into culture or politics surrounding this. I know why it's happening. Uh, but if I say it, I'll also get in a lot of trouble. And I frankly don't want to get into it anyway. Starborn Hero, what's one article, topic, or idea that got dropped over the years you wish you had time for? Um, I don't really drop stuff. I guess I have dropped stuff because I didn't have the time, uh, going back to the discussion I started this with. But generally, that is not the reason why I drop stuff. Or, I, or Very rarely do I drop an article or idea or topic just because I don't have the time. Okay, usually it's a combination of factors, the biggest one being, being that people don't respond to it quite the way I hoped, you know? And so there are several. Like, I wish I had had the chance to turn the memos into the player to what I had originally envisioned, um, but it got no response. It, it was really just, it was dropped and GMs liked it, uh, but it was also useless. Uh, however, it did teach me how to properly write a player's handbook, so there's that. So you will see them again someday, sort of. <laughs> um, Angry Craft is one that I still really, 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 really want to finish. And I really regret not finishing the Mega Dungeon. So there's that. Um... That said, I am not promising that I'm going to be able to finish Angry Craft in the form I originally originally suggested it. And there is, depending on what they do with one D&D &D or D-Box 1 or whatever, um, it may become obsolete. So, you know, who knows? Arky, you mentioned using old Germanic law in your table tales. Any suggested reading on that subject? Yes, the internet. Okay, if you want to learn about old Germanic law, you can go onto Google or Bing or DuckDuckGo or any other search engine you want and type in old Germanic law and you will get all sorts of interesting articles and stuff. I do almost all of my research about everything on the internet now. 
Um, only there are only a few topics that I consider worth doing deep dives on, and none of them have to do with world building. Okay, at this point, world building is not worth reading a 300-page academic book on a subject. Psychology, um, game design, things like that, um, those things are worth doing deep design, deep dives into, like reading actual books. Okay, which is why I will cite things like, um, you know, you know, like the 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 sway, the you know, the the, the irrational way people make decisions. Or, um, I did finally get around to reading. By the way, um, behavioral economics saved my dog. Very disappointing. Not what I expected it to be. And I also kind of hate the author. Um, so anyway. So, look, if you want to research a subject because you want to incorporate it into world building, go on to a search engine and just start researching. Go just keep clicking things on Wikipedia. That's the easiest way to do it. Uh, 15-minute oh, warning. 15-minute minute warning. Okay. Is there a strategy, Jazzy, is there a strategy to incorporating your character's backstories into your campaign? Is that even something you would recommend doing? Um, I mean, look, if, if you must, okay, I, 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 I don't know. Is there a strategy? It's just sort of something you do. I realize this seems like a weird question for me to suddenly get frustrated on. It, it's, but it really, like, I don't know how to answer this one. Like, if you absolutely must get backstories from your players, even though that is the worst way to play fantasy adventure, um, if you absolutely must get them, and you want to build a campaign around those backstories, then you build it the same way you build a campaign around any existing material that you want to incorporate into your campaign. You read the backstories, you look for interesting plot threads that you would like to explore further, and you then build stories around them. I mean, hey. <sighs> All right, there was an old, here, I'll give you this one. This is not one of my systems. I can't remember who did it. Um, there was a way, of, so you basically, I can't even, I can't even find it right now. Um, and I don't even remember the name of the system. But essentially it is this. You take the names of your, your characters, right? And let's say you have four characters in your party, right? You write them down uh, on, on, you know, in the rows. Then across the columns, because you're going to draw a grid, you, you draw the blanks for each person's plot. Like say somebody is reclaiming their fallen kingdom, right? Break each plot down to as many plot points as there are characters. So if there's, you know, four characters in the group, break... The, the, you know, each character's story, their goal or whatever it is, or the backstory into four, four plot points, uh, you know, major plot points, the big turning points, right? And so now you have a grid of each character and the plot points for each of their plots, right? And then whenever you're running an adventure, you just, you know, pick one off the grid, or, I mean, you might, you have to go in order. You have to work from top to bottom. But basically, that's it. If you want to do something like that, there's a simple way to do it. I guess that's called, that's a strategy. Noided. What is the current timeline for Slapdash? Don't know. Um, <sighs> I am hoping to have, at the very least, a playable demo that I can give out this summer. Okay, sometime between, sometime around June or July. Like which will literally be an adventure, a simple rule book, and pre-generated characters. That is my goal for the moment. Where it goes from there, I don't know. Okay, I'm not going to try and commit to a, a better timeline than that. The project, um, Slapdash is a very, very interesting project. Uh, I think it has a lot of promise. Um... And it has grown beyond the scope of, man, I just need a crappy replacement for D&D. Um, so it's worth taking a little time on. Uh, but yeah, this summer, frenemy tier people will get something to play, hopefully, you know, 
around July, possibly, maybe. Not set in stone. Chris Ayor, following on the subject of skills, what do you think of giving PCs backgrounds and inviting them to find applications? E.g., I'm a blacksmith, so I get a mechanical bonus to anything related to medical working. Yeah, metal, metal working, not medical working. Yeah, that's fine too. Sure, whatever. You know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see fuck skills. Let's just get rid of them. Okay? Let's just let's start. You know what? Get rid of skills. Get rid of talents. Get rid of feats. Get rid of everything. Okay? Just go back to the basics. Everybody's got ability scores and one class feature. Okay? Run a game like that. Then, after you can run that game and make it really good, then you can have your skills back. Okay? Um, okay, here's, here's, here's what I want to ask. Because people keep asking me, what if we do this with skills instead? Or how can we do this with skills? Or what should we do with skills? Okay, here's my thing. You need to sit down and decide what the hell you want skills to do in your game. Or backgrounds or whatever. Okay, why are they there? Before you can ask me to build a system for you or my opinion of different systems or whatever, I want to hear from you why you are doing this at all. Why is it worth it? What does it give your game? Okay? Because that answer is going to determine what you what the skills do. Okay, that's going to tell you what the system should be. Everybody is starting from the assumption that, well, games need skill systems. There must be skills or there must be something like skills. So how can we build skills? And then when the skill system isn't working right, like in D&D 5e, when the skill system isn't working right and it doesn't feel good, we think, well, how can we fix the skill system and make it differenter so it will not be so bad? Okay, we don't go back and tear it down and say, why the hell is this even here? What do we want it to do? Because if you go back to that point, then maybe you find solutions that don't even look like skills at all. Because basically what you're saying now with that whole, what do you think of giving PCs backgrounds instead of skills, is basically saying, what if we have really, really broad skills and the players just invoke them whenever they think they count and the GM can say yes or no. Okay, that's all you're saying here is what if skills were really, really, really stupid broad? Okay, I mean, fine, fine if you want to do it, but I want to know why. I want to know why you even have skills. Okay, before you add anything into your game, why is it even there? What is it doing? Okay, but mechanical bonus to anything related to metalworking. Like, really, how often does that happen? Right? Like, like, you know, how, why are, you know, what are your characters doing with metalworking so often that it's worth having a rule to determine a bonus that they get to working metal? Or analyzing metalwork or whatever else you're going to do with it. Why is this coming up so often? You know? Nitsua is taking a stab at I want skills to make it clear that my character can't do everything and they have to interact with the world to gain the help of allies, hire specialists, design new approaches, etc. Network of... And no. See, wrong already. You're wrong. That answer is wrong. Your opinion is wrong. You got it wrong. Anybody tell me why? Anybody listening? Take a moment. Take a guess. What is wrong with this statement? I want skills that make it clear my character can't do everything and they have to interact with the world to gain the help of allies, hire specialists, design new approaches, etc. Okay, here is the problem. I'm going to give you the answer now. Everybody had a chance. I don't care what game it's for. He just added a, this is for a sci-fi game, by the way, and then a smiley winky face. Yeah, I don't give a shit what game it's for. You did it wrong. Okay, because you started by assuming the conclusion. Okay? You want a game in which characters can't do everything and they have to interact with the world to gain the help of allies, hire specialists, design new approaches, etc. Fine and dandy. There is nothing that says that has to be done through skills. Okay? Your goal is characters who can't do everything so they have to have allies and specialists and design new approaches and what have you. Okay.
that's that's a fine goal. That doesn't need to be done with skills, which was my whole point is what the hell are you trying to do first? Then skills might be the right approach, right? So anyway, anyway, there you go. Um, and I guess that rant is over and I don't even know how much time I have left. Um, where am I at time-wise? I'm sorry, Nitsua, you, you were foolish enough to actually volunteer an answer uh, to a rhetorical question that came out of an angry, angry rant. So you knew what you were getting into there. Okay, five minutes remaining. If anybody has any last questions or comments, now is the time, because otherwise I'm going to sign off in just a moment and call this done. Um, I'm, I took a sip of coffee too. Nitsua, I did, and I already won my own bingo. Oh, you won your own bingo game again. <laughs> Rigged. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I kid, I kid. Does seem like you're the only one who seems to win it, though. Just saying. Anywho, somebody ask a question or make a comment so that I can get off this before I... Before, before I cross the line and hurt Nitsua's actual feelings for doing a nice thing of making an audience participation game for my audiences. At least one other Angrion has won. Okay. I, I'm, I'm going to drop that now. Oh, Jazzy is typing. You better hurry, Jazzy, because I'm running out of time now. Jazzy, you better type this fast. You better type like me. Are you a dice goblin? Wh wh what? What? I'm actually typing in that phrase. What the hell is a dice goblin? A dice hoarder. No. No, they're just, they're dice. You want a dice hoarder? Talk to Tiny. But she has, her dice hoarding ways have, um, have sort of, um, you know, they, they've waned over the years. I am not a dice hoarder, okay? Dice are a tool. Okay, that would be like hoarding, you know, like like tack nails or or you know, like hoarding screwdrivers. Okay, <sighs> yeah, I think a dice goblin is a person who uses one set of dice. I, I okay, we're not having a conversation here. I offered I offered to let you ask a question. Now it's two questions, and now we're having a this back and forth thing. No, we're not doing that. Okay, so we are done now. Nope, Nori is trying to type. Nori's not going to get it in before the before the end because I got to start wrapping up. But Nori's going to try. Uh, nope. Did Nori stop trying? Did Nori give up? Nori gave up. <laughs> I broke Nori's fragile spirit. <laughs> Okay, Nori is no longer typing. Look, um, yeah, I'm sorry. This one was a little, this was not the best. I probably should have rescheduled again, but I didn't have the heart to reschedule. Um, I, I realized that I came into this and was a little bit of a black mood, and I apologize for that. Uh, and also unprepared. Um, I was going to say you'd be surprised how many people actually hoard screwdrivers. I would not be. Okay, but this is not the point. The point is not that there's a thing that people do. People also, you know, bought orange shag carpeting in the 70s. That does not make it good behavior the rest of us should tolerate. Okay, anyway. So, with all of that said, uh, I want to thank everybody for their ongoing patience and especially for their encouragement and support. I especially want to take thank both Woosh and Proselys. Um, who over the last couple of months, and especially the last month, have been doing their damnedest to try and help me stay focused, even though it has been very difficult because distractions have abounded. And um, Proselys especially um, has been on, like, basi basically when I started talking about taking on new projects, Proselys was like, look, you're actually hurting your mental health here. Um, he told me that, frankly. And he is a good enough friend. Like, please, like, don't misunderstand me. I'm not asking everybody to do that. Proselys and I have a very, very good, strong friendship, as do Woosh and I. Um, and so he stepped in and he actually pulled me back from the precipice. And um, Woosh has been just fighting me out of the out of the chat whenever he can. And I really appreciate that. I'm going to need more help in the upcoming month. Um, but hopefully I can get on track again. Uh, it's 
you know, especially with the with the pressure release of the first week of May. Um, beyond that, of course, I do. I absolutely just want to thank everybody for continuing to support me, read my work, and to have patience with stuff at um, as stuff continues to like it's coming out more and more timely with every passing week and month, but it's still not quite um, where the promises are. Um, and so I will just have to keep getting better and better at it. Uh, so thank you all. Uh, and I will talk to you all next month. <laughs>